Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mickey Mike's Up. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the trades that have been happening in the NWSL because it's been wild. The U.S. Women's National Team games that happened in Australia, uh, that scoreline, and a few things about the starting lineups. And then we are going to be talking with Marissa Pilla. I had the pleasure of interviewing her for this episode. And guys, it was such a great conversation and I'm so excited to share it. For those of you who don't know who Marissa Pilla is, she is a CBS sports reporter who works for the NWL, MLS. Um, she covers the U.S. Women's National Team, and we just talked about her job and women's sports, and I'm so excited for you all to listen. With that being said, let's just get right into things. Okay, also, so to expansion teams, we have Angel City and San Diego, and so a lot of NWL teams have been training players to get team protection and there's also been coaching changes and there's just been a lot happening this offseason that it's kind of hard to follow so I'm going to do my best to break it all down for you guys and now going into trades so obviously there's always trades in the offseason but with an expansion draft coming it makes it a lot more intense because the expansion draft rules are that you can only protect nine players and one allocated player. And so a team like Chicago had five allocated players. And so obviously they can only protect one and be going to lose probably two of them um, to Angel City and San Diego. So Angel City and San Diego can pick one player from each team unless a team gets uh, protection. And so Chicago did that. They traded Sarah Gordon and Julie Ertz to Angel City, and so now Angel City is the two of them, and Kristen Press is their foundation for this team. And then they traded Katie Johnson, Mackenzie Doniak, and they also got the rights to the Red Stars 2021 draft pick, Kelsey Turnbow, who decided to finish her college season. And so now, instead of going to the Red Stars, she will be reporting to San Diego if she chooses to do that. The Chicago Red Stars also traded Nikki Stanton to the Rain. Uh, She grew up in Washington, and she was traded for a third-round pick in the upcoming NWCL draft. Uh, She said that she just wanted to play at home, and a lot of these players who were traded, it was by their own choice. They asked to be traded, and so it's not just people being kind of tossed aside and not having control. Obviously, uh, free agency is something that the NWCL players are fighting for in their CBA that's being argued right now, but it's not a a thing yet in the league hopefully one day players will have a bit more control over where they go but it is nice to see clubs um listening to the wishes of their players and sending them where they want to go that was the first big drop of the day I guess with all the Chicago players they lost six players but in return they got protection from Angel City and San Diego and so they won't lose anybody else in the expansion draft In North Carolina Courage news, they traded Sam Mewis to Kansas City, which was kind of a shocker. It's going to be weird to see Sam not playing with Lynn, but I mean, I think that she'll fit right in at Kansas City, and she did media and stuff with them already and seems to really um, like it there and is really excited to get to work. It was like November 30th, so it's been a few days now since that happened. And in return, uh, the Courage got Kiki Pickett for that trade and a first draft pick in the college draft. And so that'll be good to see what the Courage does with that. Obviously, Kansas City is getting 
um, a really good player in Sam Mewis. In other trade news, the Washington Spirit traded Tegan O'Grady in an international spot and a draft pick to San Diego for expansion draft protection. And a lot of these players do want to go to the California teams because they are from California. Like Tegan O'Grady is from San Jose, California, and then you have Kristen Press who also grew up in California. Um, and so a lot of these players are going to be wanting to go home and play Now, on the Gotham front of things, there hasn't been anything officially said, but there are rumors that Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger will be joining Gotham. Um, There's not really a rumor of what Orlando would be getting in return for that. And from my perspective, I don't see how Ashlyn and Allie fit into the current Gotham mix, and obviously that'll shift a little bit. But Gotham has one of the best keepers in the league with Kaylin Sheridan, and even as a backup with Didi Heritage. I do think that Dee Dee is going to get taken in the expansion draft. I don't think we'll protect her and Kaylin, but I don't see a scenario where we don't protect Kaylin and where Kaylin leaves. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting trade. I think that it could kind of be something like the Crystal Dunn situation where Crystal was traded from North Carolina to the rain and then from the rain to Portland just so that she could get to where she really wanted to go. I could see that being the case with Ashlyn and Allie maybe wanting to go west, but Honestly, nothing is going to be set in stone until Meg Linehan or the team tweets what the real trade is. Also with Gotham Internationals, um, Sodom Lee and Tine are both reporting back to their original teams. We had them on loan for the season and they did not extend their stay, which I am bummed about because they were great additions to the team and I loved how they fit into the mix, but obviously that they were not long-term um when they came over. I think that with Tanae leaving, Delaney Sheehan might be back, which will be exciting to see. Um, We also chose not to re-sign Kenny Wright or Megan Hines, and so Kenny was a defender and Megan is a goalkeeper, and so we decided not to extend their contract. I say we as if I'm like a Gotham manager. Gotham decided not to extend their contract, but they did re-sign Allie Long to a two-year deal today, which means that she will be on Gotham until 2023, and that That was kind of a funny situation because there was recently news that Angel City was trying to basically sign Allie when she was under contract and before they could. And so that became a whole thing and now Allie re-signed with Gotham, which means that she will be protecting the expansion draft. And so that's one player to check off the list. That means that there will be eight other players protected and it'll be interesting to see who all the teams pick going into the draft. On the Orlando Pride front, they traded Jody Taylor to... San Diego for 2023 second round and third round pick or allocation money depending on conditions which that sounds like a really confusing statement and I don't really understand what that fully means I think it just depends on how many games she plays or something like that San Diego also has Abby Dahlkemper she is the first player they signed I can't remember if I mentioned that in the last episode but she was the first player they signed and so they have a few defenders, a few forwards and you know they're looking like they'll be a pretty good team. The expansion draft is 2 weeks away and in I think a week the play- the teams need to send out their list of protected players which means that we will see who is potentially up for grabs in the expansion draft and who will be staying with their respective teams. Also, the trade deadline was yesterday at 1 p.m., and so that means that any trades before the expansion draft are, had to be made by that point. But that doesn't mean that people are going to hear about them because it could be another few days until they're shared. And so it's kind of up in the air. A lot of things, like there were the Ashland Alley rumors, like 
those could have gone through, but we won't know for a few days or until the teams decide to announce, which is kind of weird because your team could literally be getting ripped apart right now and you would have no idea because it's just up to the teams on when they want to share that information. But there are no more trades can be made until the expansion draft. Like, after that, then the trade window opens back up after the college draft, which the college draft is that same weekend of the expansion draft, and so it's, like, expansion draft, college draft, and then just a lot of chaos is going to happen that weekend because there's probably going to be a lot of trades, and it's going to be interesting to see what the state of teams are like, especially because so many have new coaches, so you're not really sure where people's heads are at. That should be the most up-to-date version of all the NWSL trades going on. So the U.S. Women's National Team just had a two-series game in Sydney, Australia. Well, okay, one game was in Sydney, and then I don't I think the other one was in, like, New Perth or something. But they were both in Australia. But we did get to see a lot of new faces in this camp with, um, with Kelly O'Hara, Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Alex Morgan. Like, the veteran faces sitting out. In the first game, which was in Sydney, it was at 11 p.m. Eastern time, and so I did watch that one, but my recollection of the game is not very good because it did end really late. Um, But the starting lineup was Casey Murphy in goal, which Casey Murphy had an absolutely incredible season with North Carolina after being traded from the rain, and I think that she just has so much potential Um, to keep doing better, and I think so many people forget how young she is, because I think she's only, like, 25, and so if she's already this good at 25, getting her first cap, like, some of the saves she made were absolutely insane. At one point, she, like, Sam Kerr took a shot, and she just tipped it right over, but she's so good, and I think that she will be a good person to integrate into the national team goalkeeper pool. Obviously, there's so many talented keepers, and you can only have, like, two or three, depending on the tournament you're going to, but um, I don't really see Alyssa Nair having all that much longer with the national team, and then, you know, AD France, you have her, and then now Casey Murphy's in the mix, Jane Campbell. It'll be interesting to see how it kind of evens out and who really gets those spots. And then, defender-wise... You had Emily Sonnet starting, Tierna Davidson, Alana Cook, and Emily Fox. And now, I think Emily Sonnet had a really great season with the Washington Spirit, and I feel like she played really well in the championship match. And so, in this game, it was in, I was interested to see how she was going to be playing here because I'm pretty sure the Spirit plays her as a center back, but at the national team, she always plays as a right back, which, why would you play someone... I will never understand playing people out of their position if you don't have to. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me because there's... It's like Crystal Dunn playing left back. Like, Crystal Dunn is a forward, and she's expressed how she wants to play forward, or at least midfield, and you're still playing her at left back. Like, there's some things that don't make sense to me, and playing people out of their position when it's not needed is one of those. But Tierna Davidson and Alana Cook is such a good center back pairing, and I really, really love seeing them together again because they played together at Stanford and they just work really well together and I think that it's nice to have a solid young center back pairing because it shows that you know if you have Tierno who I think is 23 and Alana's probably 23 or 24 too so they're both relatively young and being solid in that center back position 
is nice to know that you can fall back on that or even have that as the start because Becky Sauerbrunn is probably, you know, she's probably towards the end of her national team playing career and we've relied on her for so long, I feel like. And so it is kind of like nerve-wracking sometimes to look at this team and be like, well, we haven't been integrating young players well, so who do you fall back on? And I think that Tierna and Alana are perfect people to fall back on. And then you have Emily Fox, and I am personally, I don't know how I feel about Emily Fox, but I think that she really proved herself in these games. She is really fast. Nothing else, like, particularly stood out to me, but I feel like, you know, sometimes you don't need to be a standout player, you just need to be a team player, and I feel like she is one of those people who is a team player, and I think that her speed definitely helps her move the ball forward a lot, and so it'll be interesting to see how she continues to get into the mix of things. Um, and then midfield-wise, we had Andy Sullivan, Lindsay Horan, and Rose Lavelle. And so with Becky Sauerbrunn not playing in these matches, Lindsay Horan was captain just because of how many caps she has. That's what I'm going to go off of. Um, she has 107 caps, and then the next amount of caps in this starting was 67. And so I think it made the most sense for Lindsay to be captain. I'm so glad to see Andy back on the team. Like, I think I said this last time, but, like, Andy needs to be a mainstay on this team. And she needs to be a starter and captain and all the things because she's just so good. And I think that Andy is a great leader and a great example of what it it is to be a true team player in the midfield one of the differences I see between a player like Andy and a player like Lindsay is that Andy does the work to get other people the ball, whereas Lindsay will go into spaces where it's not necessarily her space to be in at the moment just because she thinks she can score. And not that there's a problem with midfielders scoring. Obviously, you want anybody to score. Um, Lindsay scored a bunch. Rose scores a lot. But I think that as a midfield who has been looking kind of shaky recently, your job shouldn't necessarily be to score right away when you're letting Australia get past you with balls. And so I think that Andy's a great example of what the midfield needs to look like, and I'm so glad to see her there. Um, Roosevelt, it's nice to see her playing, um, but she did kind of get rattled in the beginning of the game. I don't remember what minute it was, but she went down hard, and it literally looked like she was seeing stars, and they took her off. She was off for a few minutes getting evaluated, and then she went back on and played, like, till the 70th minute, and my whole thing is, it's a friendly. Like, obviously, these games are being used to evaluate players, but when you have so many new players that you could slot into that position, or even a player like Chrissy Mewis who didn't get a lot of time, why not slot them in instead of risk hurting a player more than they need to be for a friendly match? Like, yeah, it was great to see Rose play. She scored. That was great. But you're risking her health for something that like literally has no effect on a tournament or something like that. And on the bench... You had Ashley Sanchez and Christy Mewis, who were midfield subs. And so you could very easily take it off Rose and put on Christy. And obviously they have different strengths, but Christy could have scored too. And maybe we need to see Christy play more because she doesn't play that often when she's at the national team camp. She kind of gets like 10-15 minutes at the end of matches. And so I think that that's another thing, is unnecessarily risking injury on players when 
like, it's not going to hurt you to take them off. And then frontline-wise, we had Midge Purse, Ashley Hatch, and Lynn Williams, and it's so nice to see Midge back on the national team and playing forward because that is where she belongs. I mean, she was out for, like, half the season with Gotham and then still almost won the Golden Boot. And then you've Ashley Hatch, who did win the Golden Boot, and then Lynn Williams, obviously. Lynn has been a really integral part of this team in the last few months, and I... I'm really excited to see her become a more mainstay in the front line. Um, Ashley Hatch really kicked off the match like 30 seconds in the game. I think she scored and it was her first international goal. And Midge put in the work like the entire time, assisting goal. Like I think she assisted uh, Rose's goal, which is really exciting. And then Lindsay got a penalty kick. So the final score I think ended 3-0 and it was a really good match for the national team um the average age which this is just a fun fact but the average age of the starting 11 was 26 years old which made it the youngest starting lineup to take the field since april 2018 (laughs) like what like it's so crazy to think about that and then this was also the first time since 2013 that the u.s had started a starting 11 with every player under the age of 30 like that is also just like mind-boggling to me but um, I think that it was a really good match. It was really great to see the team play, and they looked they looked better than we had seen them in the last couple matches, and I think that they are starting to find a rhythm again, which is nice. With the start, Casey Murphy got her first cap, and then later, Bethany Balser, Ashley Sanchez, and Morgan Weaver subbed into the game, and they also got their first caps, which is really exciting. And then Imani Dorsey started the next game, getting her first cap. Midfielder Katarina Macario and Sophia Smith were out for both games due to minor injuries, which I was really bummed about because I wanted to see Sophia and Kat play again. Uh, But I really wanted to see them play again. This would have been a nice match to see them play. Overall, I think it was a great show for the national team. And then they played again a few days later in, um, it was Newcastle. And the final score there was a 1-1 draw, and Ashley Hatch also scored the one goal for the team. So she scored in the fourth minute. Lynn passed the ball to Midge, and Midge passed to Hatch, and Hatch scored, and it was really nice. That starting lineup was kind of the same, uh, except instead of um, Emily Sonnet starting, we saw Sofia Huerta start, which was really nice, but besides that, everything else is the same. It's so nice seeing Sofia Huerta back in the national team because she has nine caps. Like, she played with the team for a while, but then she's kind of tossed aside. And so getting to see her play in the first game as a sub and then starting this game was so amazing because she really just, like, deserves it. And she's so good. Like, she is always on top of the ball. And I think that it was great to see. Um, It was her first start since June 12, 2018. And I just, I think that she it needs to become, just like Andy, she is one of those players who constantly gets overlooked or constantly only gets called up if they need a backup. Like, and like Casey Kruger kind of falls into this. Like, I feel like Casey and Andy and Sophia, like they need to be mainstays on this team and not just like the backup options. Andy's been getting consistently called up again and I really, really hope it stays that way and I hope that see more of Sophia and then hopefully more Midge um, because again they're all like all great and need to be on the team 
we didn't get to see Bella Bixby or Jane Campbell in either of these matches, but I think that Casey Murphy had such a great showing that it would have been hard to switch it up. I do think that we could see, hopefully, Bella get called up to another camp, maybe January camp, and get some... I also don't think that we saw Abby Dahlkemper in either of these games, and Becky Sauerbrunn didn't get a ton of minutes, but I think that it was needed. I think that it was nice to see some younger players get involved. I think that this was a good camp. Obviously, the second game, a 1-1 draw, wasn't what they wanted to come away with, uh, which Flacco said after the fact, but I think that overall, it was just a really great like show of the team and what they are capable of. And yeah, I mean, I think that there's still a lot of room to work with and people that I think should be called up. But I think with faces like Sophia um, Smith, Sophia Huerta, Bethany Balser, you now have Casey Murphy. I think that the national team should not be a place of worry because they are going to get the youth in and it's looking good already. So I know that I introduced my guest in my intro, but now that she's here, I'd like to say thank you so much for joining me, and yeah, we're just going to get into some questions. So um, my first question that I wanted to ask you that I kind of always start with is why soccer? How did you get into it? Did you grow up playing soccer? Where did that kind of come from? Yeah, um, soccer was kind of thrust upon me at a young age. Um, My dad immigrated to the United States uh, from Italy in the 1970s with his family, and um, he, he lived, breathed and ate soccer. Um, so when he had kids, obviously it was a no brainer. We had to love soccer. We had to play soccer. And, um, you know, that really, I, I immediately loved it. You know, I was immediately drawn to the game. So I, like many other people, I started playing soccer at a really, really young age. I started watching a lot of soccer and I, grew up in a, um, in the early nineties when luckily women's soccer was just starting to get on television. And with the 99 women's world cup, that was really uh, a formidable time for me. Um, and it was an opportunity to see women on TV playing soccer. And that kind of just ignited everything, um, even more so. So I grew up playing, I grew up watching, I was always following the game and obviously I fell in love with a bunch of other sports as well throughout my life. Um, but it, it felt really right when I started covering soccer. That's so cool. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, like it was cool for me to grow up watching like the 2015 team and 2019. So like, I don't know, it's the first team to win the world cup. Like that must've been so cool. It was just amazing because, you know, I was eight years old at the time. Um, and that's kind of when you get to an age when, you know, girls aren't supposed to be competitive or girls aren't supposed to be better than the boys or whatever, you know, those limiting beliefs are that we hear a lot. Um, And I was always a tomboy and I always was playing, you know, really aggressively at recess. Um, And then to see that mirrored on TV and it being praised instead of kind of being directed somewhere else, that was really cool to me to think, okay, it's okay that I'm competitive. It's okay that I'm athletic. Um, it's okay that I want to go out there and kick ass. You know, there's all these women who are doing that and they're on covers of magazines and they're on, uh, commercials. And I honestly think like, obviously I did not have the skill to be playing with them. Um, but I think just being able to see them made the idea of sports journalism even more, uh, reachable. So going into sports journalism, when did you realize that that was something that you wanted to do for your career? Like, obviously you just mentioned you grew up playing soccer and everything, but when did it kind of click into place? 
Yeah, I think it, it looking back, it, it, I was kind of always on this path, which is weird. Um, but I always really loved English. I loved writing. Um, I thought maybe I'd be a writer or an English, uh, like an English major. Um, really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that. Um, and then in high school, we had a broadcast journalism class and all the seniors were the ones who were able to be on camera and like the underclassmen had to operate everything. One day all the seniors were gone. It was like testing and we got, the underclassmen got to step in and, you know, read the news or do the morning announcements or whatever it was. And I remember I did it. And my teacher said like, have you ever thought about studying broadcast journalism? I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, no, like, you know, you just don't, you don't think yeah. about that. You're 16, 17 years old. You I had no idea what I was doing with my, for my lunch, you know, like let alone my nature. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of sparked an interest um, because I always loved television and I always loved the idea of um, creating something as well. Um, and then once I kind of dove into that, I realized, wow, I can talk about sports and somebody's going to pay me money to do it. So yeah. like, <laughs> let's try to, let's try to make this happen. I feel like this is a good angle. That's kind of where I, figured out that was what I wanted to do. Obviously, I'm still getting into things. But um, in middle school, we had the morning announcements. And my homeroom teacher was the one who did it. So he'd be like, come early, do the announcements. And so I'd be the one like, doing the announcements or helping with something in the mornings. And then that shifted into me doing it in high school, too. And I was like, wow, like, this is so cool. And so hopefully it works out. <laughs> no, it will. I mean, as long as you have a passion for it. Um, I think that's what's most important because it is a tough industry in that it's not as cut and dry as like some of my friends' jobs are, where like you apply for the for a job and most likely you're at least going to hear back. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not like this. Like you don't have normal interviews. Your resume doesn't really matter as much as your real does. And you know, it's it's very different from a lot of different industries, which I think coming out of college made it difficult to look at my friends who were business majors or marketing majors and see how linear it was for them to get a job where it was so subjective for me to get a job. Um, but you kind of have to, you just have to kind of roll with it. And if you ever find yourself truly, truly not enjoying it anymore, that's when I, you, you take a look back. But if there's still a shred of something that you're enjoying, <laughs> like hold on to it. <laughs> so what is a, like a typical game week like for you when you're covering either the NWCL or MLS? So normally Mondays, I kind of take off because I'm traveling on the weekends. I'll, I try my best to get back on Sunday. Um, sometimes I'm getting back on Monday. Uh, so Mondays, I kind of just like, I'm on my couch with my dog and like, I'm lucky if I unpack my suitcase. Your dog is um, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> she's she is the most dramatic thing in the world, but I, I have only myself to blame because I've created her. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Mondays, it's kind of like, and we, I don't even hear from my producers. I don't hear from anybody where it's unspoken that like nobody talks to us. <laughs> like, <please> don't <laughs> reach out. So then Tuesdays, I'm starting to just catch up on the games that I wasn't able to watch. So my whole attention, it's kind of hard because like, I love soccer but in season, I'm really, I can only really give my attention to what I'm covering. Yeah. It's hard to watch like Serie A or Premier League when I'm covering games and like, I need to be ready. So Tuesday, I'm usually catching up on, you know, the game um, 
the, the teams that I'm covering this upcoming week, the games they played, uh, watching film, understanding what happened in the game, maybe catching up on other leagues just for fun. And then I'm starting to craft um, storylines, what I think was important, what I think stood out. Um, and then by Wednesday, I'm usually putting in requests to talk to different players, um, just so I have some background on like um, different things that like could maybe come up as a sideline report. Um, Thursdays, we're usually doing con uh, content calls with our crew, going over the rundown of the show, also talking to coaches probably Thursdays and Fridays as well. Friday, um, I'm probably on a plane, if not packing. Saturday, I'm out. And then it's just going to trainings, finishing notes, more content calls and production meetings. And then Sunday, it's game time and you show up and you put everything that you just put together on, on air. And then when you're done, you're like exhausted and you start the whole thing <laughs> over on Monday. I think that like, people don't give nearly enough credit to what goes into your job because I know so many like so many of my friends are like so you just want to go talk and I'm like no it's so much more than that it's not just me getting up and okay here's some questions yeah. like no it it's a lot more and so I think that it's really more people need to know how much work goes into what you actually do because well I have people at like when I was at the Olympics I was doing a lot of um you know pregame hits and reports and stuff like that and I had people asking me like, um, oh, like, if, like, is your teleprompter down there? I'm like, I don't have a teleprompter. Like, do you think I have a teleprompter down there? Or people ask me like, oh, so is there somewhere down, someone down there telling you what to say? I'm like, no, that's my job. Yeah, <laughs> that's literally my job to, to report on things. Like there's no one down there telling me like, oh, this is what's going on. Like, then why am I there if I can't figure it out? My Like, yeah, it's just very funny to me that like, people really don't understand like everything that goes into it and what that job's like really entails, like play-by-plays and analysts, like no one's telling them anything. They might have a stat person like saying like, Hey, if this person scores, like it breaks this such and such record. Like there's certain things you can't keep track of, but like, I, it just cracks me up that people are down there, like thinking someone's down there with me, like telling me what yeah. to say or telling me what to ask. And I'm like, no, that's like, that's literally my job. Like, that's why, that's why I'm there. That That's the job description, guys. Keep up. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. Why am I there? You know? Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely been like really cool to be at NWSL games and see you or like Ari there just to see how it all works. Because I mean, that's what I want to do. So like seeing how it all works is just like always so cool to me. You mentioned the Olympics. So what was covering the national team like during the Olympics? Is that something you ever thought was possible when you first started getting into sports? I mean, the Olympics was always a dream of mine. Um, I think um, for anyone who watches the Olympics when you're little, it's just, especially if you're a sports fan, I think it like blew my mind, like the, the just the concept of the Olympics. Um, so I grew up watching, you know, all of the amazing gymnastics teams and everything. And um, so to be able to cover it was just incredible. And to be part of NBC's coverage, because they do such a great job. And uh, it was interesting. I think, you know, it was my first Olympics. Um, so I had nothing to compare it to in terms of all the COVID stuff. Um, but it's just a lot of work. Like those days are coming hard and fast. And we had maybe two days in between each game just to get ready for the next one. Oh my gosh. Um, so like we prep, prep, prep for the game. And then the game happens. And then you literally, you have 
maybe half a day to just clear your mind and then you have to start again and you have to keep doing that the whole for a month and it's exhausting um but it was just so fun and it was really challenging and it helped me grow in a lot of ways because obviously the U.S. didn't perform the way many people expected and the way we even as a broadcast expect it we expect it okay they're going to go to the gold medal game okay like you know and it it taught me how to think on my feet a little bit more and how to cover a team that isn't doing well because especially with the game of the week that I do for NWSL and CBS we only talk to the winners like we only have time for one post game interview and it's going to be somebody from the winning team yeah so it was a challenge for me to be like, I have to talk to the U.S. players. They do not want to talk to me because they're not playing well. And I get it. Like I'm the yeah. last person you want to see. Um, but like how to navigate that situation with compassion, understanding that it must be extremely frustrating for them for how this is going. Um, so to kind of handle that situation with a lot of empathy, but also your journalistic integrity and having to ask questions. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I couldn't imagine being at the Olympics with just COVID and everything going on. And then it must have been like, did, were you able to like go see other things or was it very bubble-like because of COVID? We had like a two-week soft quarantine. Um, so what that meant was we were only allowed in our hotel in any like NBC regulated space. Um like any, all of our transportation was um, from NBC. So that was fine. Or any venue that we were cleared to go to. Um, And then after those two weeks, we had, you could go out. Um, But we were just so busy. (laughs) We only had had really one day to walk around. And I was with our producer, Kirsten, um, our play-by-play, Arlo White, and um, our analyst, Julie Fowdy. And we literally just spent the whole day walking around Tokyo. Like we walked for probably eight to 10 hours. We saw a lot of cool stuff. Like it was just gorgeous. Like I had never seen a city that looked like that. Um, So we did get to see a good amount of like the city. Um, But I don't know how people see the city during non-COVID Olympics. Cause like I was just so busy. (laughs) Like I couldn't do anything. So yeah. Normally, um, I probably would have extended my stay and have stayed there like a little later after the games. Um, Hopefully next time around, I can do that. Yeah, that would be super cool. I think that I just want to like go to the Olympics one day just to see whether I'm working for something or I'm just there just to watch. Like it's so like I've always loved the Olympics. So I thought that that was so cool when I saw that you were like on board with the team for the summer. It was pretty amazing. And it's like so many things happening at once. And you're only you have like these shutters on where you're only paying attention to what you have to do because like you'll drown if you look at something else. (laughs) And then, you know, like I'm trying to watch other events and then all of a sudden like Simone Biles pulls out of the all around. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like nothing like you guys at home, like watching at home, it's so much more fun because you get to see everything. Meanwhile, I'm just like in this tunnel and I can only see what's in front of me. I guess the good thing was that you were you were awake at normal times and not 3 a.m. for the games because that was that was a time. (laughs) I don't know how people how we had viewers. I was like I kept telling like my family and friends I'm like you do not need to watch it live. It will be replayed. They're like no 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 we want to watch it live. I'm like it's legitimately at four in the morning. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, it was too early. It was, it was very early. And I would, I woke up and watched games and then I had to like go work at summer camp. And I was like, why am I doing this to myself? No. That's commitment. I applaud you. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, like obviously the Olympics is like one month of intense reporting, all that kind of stuff with the NWSL, you kind of did that with the challenge cup, their COVID bubble. So what was that like? And how did your job change during that time, especially because that peak COVID? Yeah, that was, I mean, nothing could have prepared me better for the Olympics than the challenge cup. Um, and I honestly, I'm just, I'm so grateful it existed because I know a lot of people in my industry didn't work during COVID because of everything going on. So when I got the call, that was like, Hey, would you go to Utah for a month? I said, sure. Um, not knowing what it would be like. And it was, it was very, it was very mentally exhausting, physically exhausting. I don't know how those players, um, kept it together. I think it was really hard for everyone. Um, because our schedule for that was double headers, um, two days in a row. So Monday, Tuesday, we'd have four games, then I'd have two days off. And then, um, Friday, Saturday, I'd have four more games. So I never, and I covered every game. So I had to, like, I had no days off. So I literally had to keep prepping and keep prepping. As soon as that like first game ended, I was prepping for the second game. And then that night I was prepping for the two more the next day. So it, which was nice in a way, because it kept me distracted um, from, you know, all the, the stress and anxiety that surrounded, you know, the peak of uh, the pandemic. Um, it was unique. It kind of felt like a weird college because it was like, you only saw the same people every day. And I was living in an apartment by myself and it was just very, it was very, very unique. But by the end of it, we were all just like, peace out. Like, I gotta go. Like, I just gotta go home. Yeah. I can't be here anymore. You don't want to extend your stay in Utah? No, no. It was so hot. It's so like, yeah, from the East coast. And it's like, I'm used to like, heat but also humidity and it was such dry heat I had never experienced anything like that before yeah no, um, I remember seeing like the temperatures like before the games and I'm like how are they playing like I could not I could never it was I give them because, like, so the, much props <laughs> oh my god yeah the morning game was like it started off nice because it was like still kind of cool it was like cooler in the morning but as that first game was ending it got like ungodly hot and then the start of the second game was terrible because it was like the sun's blaring down on you. But the, by the end of it, it was like nice. So you got like a quarter of each game was like bearable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look back on that now and just laugh and think like, I don't know how we all got through that, but we did. Yeah, it was it was I mean, from a fan perspective, like the coverage and the games and everything, it was like really good. So even though you guys were being run like a little bit crazy, <laughs> you guys were doing a great job. I'm glad it came off super smooth on TV because we it were did. all just like super struggling. So. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine being in a bubble and seeing like the same, like, I mean, I'm at college, so I guess it's like very similar in like the sense that I see the same people every day, but yeah. like we can still go out and do things. And if I don't want to see right. those people, I can see other people. So I can't imagine just being in such a like space with the same people and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I give you guys major props for all of that. <laughs> um, so obviously you've covered a lot of different things. We just talked about women's sports, but you've also done work with the MLS and covering like men's soccer. So what do you think has been the biggest difference between covering men compared to women? 
Um, I do get asked this question quite a bit. Um, I don't know if there's that much of a difference. Um, and I think that's kind of the beauty of soccer that at the end of the day, like soccer, soccer, um, and yeah, like, I, I really don't see, you know, a difference if like, you know, men are more chatty than women. Like, I think it's just really based on the person, you know, I've met a lot of great, um, players in the NWSL who, are super talkative or, and, but then I've met some who are super shy and don't like being on camera, same thing in MLS. Um, so I think that's kind of like the great unifiers, like, listen, like soccer brings a lot of different people together, men, women, non-binary, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like some want to be on camera, some don't, but they're all here because, you know, the love of the game. With women's sports, like you said that after the game, you only have time to like interview the winner in men's soccer, like, do you do a win sides for both? Like I'm, I'm on it. I'm going to be honest. I don't really watch men's soccer. It's not my speed, but, um, how can we get more post game or like pregame coverage for women's sports? Like, what do you think needs to be done for that to happen? Yeah, I think post game is tough because that's all about broadcast windows and basically what your network has available. So, each show, each game is given a broadcast window from two to four. That's your broadcast window. And there's either a hard out at four, or you can probably stretch it to like four or five sometimes. So post game is just tough for everyone. I've covered my fair share of men's games where there are no times for no time for post game. It's just, it's not in the cards. Um, but I think a lot of what I would like to see is just uh, women's sports being covered in the same way men's are. So not being separated of like, oh, this is a women's sports show. This is for women's soccer. Like talk about women's soccer alongside men's soccer because yeah. it's just soccer. It's just different people are playing it. And that's just the way I see it. So if you have like a soccer show, talk about men's soccer, talk about women's soccer as if they are the same thing because they are. You know, it's if I think the more we divide it as it's a women's game, it's a men's game, it's going to make it harder to kind of bridge that gap. So I would just like to see, you know, um, shows on TV giving, you know, not just NWSL, but um, the super leagues like in, in Europe and all their women's leagues, just giving them the same amount of time for how newsworthy their news is. Just treat it like regular soccer news. Yeah, for sure. I think that with, with a lot of sports, it's very like, this is for men and this is for women, but yeah it's the same sport that like they're my, especially with soccer like soccer is literally the same rules like there's it's just the same yeah like hockey has like a little bit of different rules for like men and women but soccer is literally just soccer and they're all just like playing and I don't understand why people are like so adamant that like women's soccer isn't real soccer I'm like they're playing the same exact game same like game and like how many of us started playing soccer on a co-ed team that really doesn't happen in a lot of other sports when you're talking even just like children getting in, in, introduced to the game. And I think that says a lot of like, listen, it's a global game for a reason um, because it's so inclusive. So stop making it exclusive by separating that into, yeah. and I think it's great to highlight women's stories. And I love publications like Just Women's Sports and On Her Turf. I think it's important to have those um, outlets for long form journalism and then highlighting women in sports. But I think on a daily basis, talking about it alongside of literally everything else is, you know, that makes sense to me. 
Yeah. When you have ESPN or, and stuff like that, and they are, oh, here's sports highlights or all the sports games for the week. And then it's, there's nothing said about women unless, and I feel like obviously you have to report on bad things that happen. So there's been a lot that's happened with NWSL this season. And obviously that stuff needs to be covered, but you can't only cover that stuff when it comes to women's sports. And I feel like that's something that I see a lot as like a Mm -hmm. fan perspective that I think needs to be shifted because they were reporting on bad things happening in the NWSL while the playoffs were coming up. And so you could be like, oh, this bad thing happened, but look here, watch the playoffs. It's here. Like you can. And so I think it just like for women, women's sports, like they just need to make it more accessible in like a talking about it sense, which I think that you pointed out. Yeah. And I think, you know, that WNBA has showed um, I mean, they're a great example to follow in terms of like people want to watch women's sports. They want to watch the WNBA. They want to watch the NWSL. So just talk about it and people want to watch it. So it like, yeah. to me, it's not that it's not that complicated. Um, but I think the WNBA has done a great job in terms of, you know, controlling their narrative and um, making sure people are talking about the game what's actually being played, the athletes talking about these, these women, like you would talk about the men. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's how I would like at least the future to, to go for, for women's sports in general. Yeah. I know so many people who were like, Oh, I would have watched that if I knew it was on. And I'm like, yeah, like, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get there one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to kind of wrap up, like what advice would you give to someone else who wants to work in sports one day, whether it's what you're doing or just any aspect of like being a woman working in sports? I think the best advice I would give is that, um, going into it, knowing that success is never linear. Um, and while you want to continue to trend upward, I've had my dips, you know, I've lost jobs or, you know, things have been pulled, the rug has been pulled out underneath me. Um, And I think it's just important to know, like, you're not defined by your job. Your job is really cool. I love my job, but it it doesn't define me. And I think if you can separate that, then you can just enjoy your job for what it is. And it's just a cool job. Um, I think too, um, knowing a lot of different skills has been really important to me. I was dead set after graduation on getting an on-air job. I didn't. I applied to over 200 jobs. I didn't hear back from a single one. And I was about ready to work at the mall. So (laughs) it was devastating. Um, And then I got a job as a production assistant at a a new station I interned for. And I I thought like, is that what I want to do? Like, I don't want to be pigeonholed as a production assistant. But the skills I learned as a production assistant, even literally like I was rolling teleprompter, but I tried to approach everything with what can I learn from this? And I learned how to write scripts. I learned, I was watching the anchors and how they would try to think of a unique way to ask something that everybody else is asking. Um, And I learned a lot of great production roles, um, which I think helped me be better on air because now I know what a producer is thinking or how they think rather. Um, and I can be more of an asset. I can be self-reliant. They don't have to explain everything to me because I know what certain things mean. I can think of graphic ideas and go right to the graphics director. So I think just learning as much as you can about a bunch of different stuff is going to help you find what makes you unique. Um, and also just like, I know it's so hard, but like, don't compare yourself to other people or their journeys or what process they're on. I've done that for years looking at Instagram, like, oh, well, this person's doing this and that, and they look like this. And 
at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, like you get the jobs that are meant for you. Um, and then you just have fun along the way. Like it's really supposed to be fun. There's going to be nights like you're crying yourself to sleep in Utah and you think, why am I doing this? But then you wake up in the morning and you realize you get to talk about sports and you know, it really could be a lot worse. So that's kind of the long and short of it. No, I think that that's great advice because like, I love what you said about like, you'll get the jobs that are right for you because it's so true. Every experience that you have, you're supposed to have that experience for a reason. And I also think that, especially a career like this, you're going to hear so many no's before finally get a yes. And I feel like I talked to Ari about this before, but it could be so discouraging to just keep hearing like no's or like not hear back. But if it's something you're passionate about, I think just keep pushing. And I mean, it clearly has paid off for you. So, (laughs) and like I still hear no, you know, and I know I'll always hear no. Um, I hate hearing no. I like it's <laughs> crazy. Um, but and but it's gotten easier over the years because, like you said, like everything that's meant for you is going to come to you. And there's been jobs where I'll see somebody else get, and I'll be like, "Damn, I I want to do something like that." But that's that person's journey, you know. Like yeah, that that was meant for them for one reason or another. Um, but yeah, the no's are hard. Um, or, and also what worse than the nose is just like not hearing back. And it's like, I slaved over this email for like 15 minutes and <laughs> had anxiety about it and you're not even going to answer me. So it's just kind of going with the flow of it all. That was how I felt when I was like reaching out to like you and Ari. I was like, what if they say no? What if they don't see it? I was so nervous, but I mean, <laughs> no. hey, look, it paid off. Look so. where we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before we um, finish, I did have some rapid fire questions to okay. ask you just because I think that those are fun. So they were fun. So what's your favorite soccer team? My favorite soccer team? Yeah. Um, I grew up watching uh, Inter. So Inter Milan. Okay. Do you have like a go-to coffee order? I'm usually like a chai latte kind of girl. That's what I get. That's my favorite. I judge a coffee shop based on how good their chai lattes are. I do that too. I think chais are the best. (laughs) They're so good. (laughs) What is like a game day must have, whether it's like a snack, an accessory? Game day must have, besides deodorant, um, I think has to be like a good pregame playlist. Like I got to get in the right mindset and like got to get pumped up. Okay. I like, I like that. (laughs) What is your favorite place that you've traveled to covering sports? Japan. Okay. (laughs) And then you, um, I know you covered a lot in Philadelphia. Like you grew up there. Pats or Geno's if you like, Uh, or do you have like another favorite? I would say if I had to choose between Pats or Geno's, I actually live around the corner from them. Um, I go Pats, but I think you should check out Jim's or John's. Okay. It's a lot of first names. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. It was so great to talk to you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I know that this one was a bit longer and I know that the audio isn't consistent because I did record it at a bunch of different times and I do have a cold right now. So sorry if I sound nasally or hard to understand, but um, I really appreciate all the listening. With that being said, I did want to just say that this episode included I will have three more and then I'm going to do a break you know holiday season's coming up I'm gonna be home from school and I really just want to spend time with family um and obviously I'm not gonna be posting an episode on Christmas or anything so after we get back I will I'm aiming to start posting episodes again 
mid-January and I do have some really awesome guests lined up so keep listening and thank you so much for the support make sure to follow on Instagram at Mickey Mike's Up and on Twitter at Mickey underscore Alfano uh follow share and all the things thank you so much guys (music) 